listening to a podcast from The National. This week, The National spoke to Dr. Anwar Gargash, the UAE Minister of State for Foreign Affairs. He talked about how the Arab world has changed significantly a year since the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Egypt cut all diplomatic and travel links with Qatar. Before nations insist that to normalize relations with Qatar, Doha will have to change what the quartet claims are troubling grievances. But as the crisis enters its second year, it's difficult to tell just how long, or if, the GCC's most significant diplomatic crisis will ever be resolved. I am Nasr al-Wesmi, and this is Beyond the Headlines. We'll be bringing you our discussion with Dr. Gargash in two parts. He spoke to us on a wide range of topics, but this week, we'll focus on Qatar. This is what Dr. Gargash had to say about why the crisis started. It is a one year uh, uh, since, you know, we took measures uh, against Qatar. And I think the first thing we need to, uh, you know, to, to sort of uh, uh, reiterate, number one, is uh, that this crisis, uh, you know, there was a build-up to it. There was, it's not an issue like it came up as uh, some sort of... Uh, Thunder, you know, striking, thunderbolt striking. Um, the the crisis actually, uh, you know, was due to Qatari practices of uh, over a decade, uh, where Qatar basically uh, was part of the GCC, uh, but at the same time, in many cases. Uh, adopted and pursued uh, policies that were destabilizing, destabilizing in the sense of uh, promoting certain radical extremist jihadist groups uh, that uh, were, uh, you know, that that were undermining stability in the region. At the same time, uh, it uh, it also pursued an active policy of destabilizing uh, neighboring regimes, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, to a certain extent. So this crisis did not come from, uh, you know, from nowhere. Mm. So clearly, uh, the so resolution of the crisis, I think there are three important issues. The first issue for resolution of the crisis is a Qatari uh, review uh, of it, its previous policies uh, with regards to supporting extremism and with regard to supporting some of the terrorist organizations that, that we've seen, in, such as in Nusra or some of the Libyan factions or some of the Iraqi factions. Because this, this is more or less uh, you know, a region that is interconnected. So what you do in one area will have its effect on the other area. And the whole idea of a GCC sort of collective perception of security is undermined by that. At the same time, I think what is extremely important is for Qatar to address previous policies of systematically undermining uh, the Bahraini regime or systematically supporting Saudi opposition, uh, financing it, uh, giving it the platform to try and, 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 and uh, play a seditious role. And at the same time, the hundreds of millions that are being spent on undermining Egypt. 
So clearly these are things that need to be done uh, for uh, Qatar to resolve its current crisis. And, you know, we talk about the 13 uh, demands, but the 13 demands are also uh, a negotiating position. And everybody knows that any negotiating position, you sort of put your list of the things that you want to do. But fundamentally, it is about, uh, you know, owing, owing to uh, your previous policies, owning these policies, and at the same time reviewing it. I think that's what we should Dr. Gargash said that the grievances are deep and that the Arab Quartet is finding it difficult to believe Qatar. Prior to this recent crisis, Qatar and the rest of its GCC neighbors met about what some of the countries expressed were their concerns over Doha's antics. Most recently in 2014, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Bahrain recalled their ambassadors from Doha. A meeting was called less than two months later, and all returned to normal through back-channel meetings. Up until this diplomatic spat, the world did not know why the decision to isolate Qatar happened. Again, I think, I think this is very important, because in, uh, when in that Riyadh meeting, uh, the Emir of Qatar clearly came and said, you know, previous practices are nothing to do with me. I'm starting a new page and, uh, you know, judge me from the day that I have become Amir, Sheikh Tamir. And he signed up to, uh, to the agreement in 2014 and he, he didn't keep his promise. So clearly there is a deficit of trust in Qatar. And I think that deficit of trust is very clear because even in 2014, you know, the sort of uh, uh, the part in the 2014 agreement that Qatar will no longer be a bastion for Muslim Brotherhood uh, leadership and cadres, you know, they, they took some cosmetic measures that were temporary measures and then they went back to their old uh, policies when they felt that the heat was no longer on. So clearly, I think the, you address a very important uh, issue here, which is a deficit of trust. And I think as we, uh, as Qatar reviews, if Qatar wants to get out of its crisis and uh, does review previous practices, does take into account our concerns over the years, then there has to be also a mechanism of uh, of verification and i think part of this mechanism in the beginning of the crisis there was talk of uh, of of a mechanism to control uh, qatari finance going to extremist organizations i mean it is uh, ridiculous that a billion dollars will be paid to various uh, you know uh, extremist and terrorist groups and there is no mechanism to show that the money, uh, you know, came from Doha, etc. So clearly, we would need to agree a mechanism because I would say there is really a clear lack of trust in anything that the, the current Qatari leadership says or does. Dr. Gargash said cutting diplomatic ties, although difficult, was a necessary measure. In his opinion, it was critical to guaranteeing regional stability. As the Arab world enters increasingly troubling times, he wants more alignment and ownership of Arab issues by Arabs. 
Well, I think, you know, I mean, there are two readings here. There's a Western reading that this crisis actually uh, complicates how the region deals with, uh, specifically with, uh, with Iran or how the region deals with issues of stability. But uh, the reading from our perspective is uh, we had, uh, you know, a spoiler within our group. And what, was, what, what Qatar used to do, uh, you know, clandestinely uh, in terms of its uh, approach to regional politics is right now on the table. So really we are not surprised that Qatar today is uh, trying to, through its uh, television station, trying to fan unrest in Jordan. We've seen that recently with Al Jazeera, for example. Uh, or that it is suddenly, Al Jazeera suddenly is turning pro-Houthi. I mean, all these things are things that we used to see under the table. They were things that were done but not said. Currently, they are said and done. So I don't really see a problem here. And I think we have to also, uh, you know, and this has been our, our approach with many our, of our friends. You know, we can disagree on a small issue like Qatar, but we have so many areas uh, where we are working together. And these areas are to do with issues of stability, issues of development, uh, issues of extremism, issues of terrorism. And, you know, things are moving well. And I think uh, coming into the second year, the Qatar issue will be uh, less and less important because people will realize it's either Qatar has to address its issue away from its you know, in, you know, insistence that uh, it can solve it through the glitz of the media uh, and address the real issues that are there. And I think this is going to... Uh, take place. Dr. Gargash said that through the crisis, the quartet nations have become more aligned. The group, having come together through the crisis, has found a new level of cooperation. Clearly, there are two, three things that have to be said. Fundamentally, you've got two major Arab countries that are within the quartet. And I'm speaking about Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And then you have other countries that are supporting what I would call uh, the sort of moderate center in the Arab world, us and Bahrain, and to a certain extent outside of the quartet, Jordan, Morocco, and others. So clearly, uh, this is what the UAE is hoping. The UAE is hoping that uh, through the quartet and through other issues, actually, in the region, not only the Qatar issue. The Qatar issue is not the only issue that's going to pull the Arab center for it to become more relevant. But I think other issues, such as Iranian intervention, such as the need for a greater Arab role in Syria, such as our outreach to Iraq, where we're quite positive about, uh, you know, initial uh, readings of, of the election. I think the Qatar issue is one of several things that are happening that are saying is if you don't want regional intervention, Turkish or Iranian, in Arab affairs, then you have to sort of rearrange your house. And rearranging that house needs means that you need to create consensus. So I think there are several things that are happening at the same time. The Qatar issue is one of, but not necessarily the most important thing. I mean, the decision, for example, to, uh, to, to, to 
stand against the Houthi uh, coup d'etat in Yemen and the Iranian support for the Houthi coup d'etat is an Arab decision. And I think this is what I'm saying. There is uh, a realization that uh, you know we have in a fundamentally changing international system, we have to also uh, be more responsible for our fate. And responsible, you can't do it as the UAE alone. You can't do it as, I don't know, uh, you know, this or that country alone. So we do need to create uh, an Arab center. The Qatar issue happens to be one of the issues that uh, is solidifying our position. At the beginning of the crisis, the Arab Quartet presented 13 demands that Qatar needed to adhere to before normalizing relations. Among those demands, that the country shutters the TV network Al Jazeera. Dr. Gargash sees those initial demands as a path to negotiation. I think, I think fundamentally, this has always been the position of, 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 uh, of the four states. It's always been the position of the four states. In fact, uh, one of the, uh, you know, I mean, w- you know, we've said this many times, that this is a framework for negotiations. This is a negotiating position. It doesn't, it's not an ultimatum in terms of take these demands or don't take, or there's no deal. I mean, that, that has been already, I think it's been maybe lost because we've had some, you know, we, we've been bombarded uh, with, with details, etc. But I think fundamentally, uh, when you uh, start a negotiating position, you basically put, you know, all your demands together. But this is the basis of a negotiating uh, position. But fundamentally, fundamentally, personally, I, I don't see Al Jazeera as an issue, for example, because I think Al Jazeera is basically a mouthpiece of the Qatari policy. I don't really see Al Jazeera as an independent, uh, you know, uh, an independent network. I don't really see it there. I think it is a reflection of what uh, Qatar is, 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 is pushing. Uh, again, uh, at the same time, my worry more about Al Jazeera is not about promoting uh, Qatari policies. My main worry is Al Jazeera over the years has been a platform for many of uh, the, you know, the top terrorists in the world. I mean, Al Jazeera has been you know, the, uh, the ultimate platform for Osama bin Laden and for Ayman al-Dawahri and for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, various Al Jazeera uh, reporters have been held in terrorist uh, cases in Spain and in other places. My concern will be more there, for example. But I think fundamentally, uh, the demands, as I mentioned, and we've said it many times, are a framework for negotiations. These are our concerns. This is what worries us. We have encapsulated them in these 13 uh, demands. Uh, But at the same time, fundamentally, as I said, deep down, if I can say there are three main issues. One is the support for extremism terrorism. The second one is the the undermining uh, neighbors and other countries in the region. And the third one is, as I said, the deficit of trust. We agree on these, but how do we ensure that a government that has actually not kept its word over the years will keep its word this time? I think this is an important thing. 
The final question, and one that is brought up time and again, is the GCC relevant anymore? The six countries that form the GCC are more fragmented than ever before. The UAE and Saudi Arabia are increasingly pursuing bilateral ties. Amman pursues its policies at times irrespective of its neighbors. Kuwait is busy mediating the crisis. Bahrain is not willing to engage in anything with Qatar involved. And Qatar continues to be isolated. Dr. Gergash said, however, despite all of this, the GCC still matters. The GCC will survive. The GCC will survive because of the following. Uh, The big success of the GCC has never been its uh, ability to create a unified political position. That's not been the big success of the GCC. I mean, traditionally, the GCC has had, uh, you know, independent foreign policies by different countries. And we see that in Kuwait's case, the UAE's case, Oman's case. So this whole, you know... uh, some bogus, you know, claim by Qatar that this is about uh, independent foreign policy. It's not about independent foreign policy. I mean, the UAE has an independent foreign policy. Oman has an independent foreign policy. Kuwait has an independent foreign policy. And this has been part and parcel uh, of the GCC. The problem is when your foreign policy undermines your neighbors and others. So the GCC, if you look at it, the big success of the GCC has been basically economic, investment and the ability to create a common market. So through the GCC, we've created a a very important regional common market. And I think this is what will keep the GCC together. So our ability to travel freely, our ability to invest, our ability to uh, trade. And if you look at the numbers, you will see the huge peak in the size of investments intra-GCC following the creation of our common market, the ownership by various GCC nationals of uh, properties and businesses in other GCC countries, the investment by GCC countries uh, in, in each other's economies. This is really the bedrock of the GCC. And this is what will keep the GCC working. If you look on a second level, the GCC has had some successes in, uh, in, in, in sort of military coordination. Uh, as I said, political coordination has not been the GCC's forte over many years. So clearly, to try and, and look at the GCC's chances of uh, survival only from a political perspective, I think, is erroneous. I think if you really look at it, the GCC is in the interest of all the parties because number one is because of the common market that has that it has created. Then you go to issues of stability and other. And I think this is basically the locomotive that will actually pull the GCC out of this crisis. Thanks to Dr. Enwar Gargash for his time. Read more and follow our latest coverage of the Qatar crisis on our website, thenational.ae. I'm Nasr Westmi. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. Thank you for listening and goodbye.